Catholic commentary. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Welcome to Wednesday War College. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm here with Kyle Clement, who's the case facilita facilitator for the DeLorean Fathers for Father Chad Ripperger and the team. <clears throat> Today, by the way, is the feast day of St. Ambrose of Milan. Pray for us, one of the great early church fathers. And today's, today's also the vigil of the feast day of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, we're, we're celebrating these Marian holidays, Marian feast days in the Catholic Church. <clears throat> in a lot of Hispanic parishes, we're celebrating nine days of Our Lady of Guadalupe, <clears throat> uh, the uh, four apparitions back in 1531. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, a whole lot of things, spiritual warfare. And for that, we've got Kyle Clement. Kyle, welcome to Wednesday War College, my friend. People always anticipate you coming on. Uh, what are you up to right now, Kyle? How can people get a hold of you? What projects are you on? Uh, it's good to be with you, Jesse. Um, glad to be with you and your listeners here on the War College on Wednesday. We've got a lot of things going on. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about them. Um, go to www.liberchristo.org and go to www.montechristo.net for all the information. We've got a lot of retreats that are coming up, conferences coming up. There's just a plethora of opportunities uh, to go to these conferences, go to these retreats with Father Ripperger and myself, the uh, SMD team, and, and learn more about um, everything. We have everything from mental health professionals conferences for mental health professionals assisting in this ministry uh, to priestly formation as both general practitioners. Uh, this picks up a lot of the training and a lot of the information that priests no longer receive in, in their seminary training, especially diocesan priests. And finally, we have, or also we have, exorcist training. Um, this is done by Father Ripperger and myself, mostly Father Ripperger, but it is an intense one-week training that actually is practicum related and makes a, uh, our priest exits this training fully functional uh, as an exorcist. It is a very practical uh, way to get uh, boots on the ground and to get priests out into the ranks that, that know uh, the ministry, know exorcism, and how it's done in a traditional way that is conformable to Catholic norms. Um, unlike some of the USCCB programs and some of the other programs, such as the Leo the Thirteenth program, this is a very practical oriented. It's not theoretical. Uh, this is functional theology. And over a period of, of almost 20 years, uh, Father has developed some protocols, some procedures, and some methodologies that are proven over a large data set. And so this is, this is truly war college. This is not theoretical. It's functional theology. Uh, we have reclamation theology retreats, which uh, are very, very uh, informative about what have we lost in our faith? You know, and you bring up some good points, Jesse. It's just part of your language. You talk about um, the, the celebration and the commemoration of the Virgin of Guadalupe appearing to Juan Diego at Tepeyac and all that surrounds that. In the spiritual warfare con context, we lose sight of that. 
that often the Blessed Mother is waging spiritual warfare on a cosmic level. This is in direct response to stopping child sacrifice, stopping the uh, the sacrifice of, of children and, and human victims by the Aztecs in Mexico. Uh, we're, we're cycling back to where child sacrifice and sacrifice of human victims is very much in the fore, um, and it's, it's politically advocated um, in this country. It's very, very important for us to see this on a cosmic level. She also t- appears in response to the, the great deformation and horrible, uh, horrible travesty that was done by Martin Luther to the Mother, to mother mm-hmm. Church um, in, in what was known as the Reformation. It was truly the deformation. And the idea that we've got prelates and modernists who are celebrating this character, this bad actor, this bad operator, um, who was uh, arguably possessed. I think that, you know, the truth, over time, the truth comes out. And we're seeing it more and more. Um, and so, yeah, that's a short riff on what we've got going on. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Please go to those websites, exhaust the videos and resources on those websites, sign up for the retreat, sponsor treat priests to go to these uh, exorcist trainings. Um, we really appreciate and count on your prayer support. Amen. By the way, call for just for the audience, sometimes men get turned off by that term retreat. They're actually, the term retreat's a military term. <clears throat> it, it means uh, the forced or strategic withdrawal of an army or an armed force before an enemy or the withdrawing of a naval force from action. Uh, this term has been used since the Civil War, by the way, uh, <clears throat> where men got to come back and kind of regroup and think, he, think how they're going to attack the next day. So it's a total uh, masculine term. The term when somebody says "go on a retreat," that's about as masculine as you can get. Carla, to comment on there's an article called "They No Longer Believe in the Devil." Let me just share some of the stuff in the article, some of the uh, information that I wanted you to just kind of comment about the dangers of moving in this direction. The article says many priests and bishops do <clears throat> no longer believe in the devil, which is obviously the best best possible camouflage for the latter. If he does not exist, why fight against him? Why guard against him? And finally, is there a hell? For hell is a place where the rebellious angels were thrown after their sin and where the damned are punished for eternity. Um, I'll jump back to the bottom, the very bottom paragraph. Bishop Bonamine abolishes the post of exorcist. The Bishop of Chur, which is in Switzerland, Joseph Bonamine, who has medical training, does not intend to appoint a new exorcist in Chur, Switzerland. The former exorcist of the diocese died in February 2020 at the age of 76. His activity had made him known beyond the borders of the diocese. In 2008, he participated in a debate on exorcism on the program club on German-speaking Swiss television. The Bishop of Chur is convinced that it is not necessary to seek to find mysterious causes for the alleged cases of demonic possessions. This is why he does not intend to appoint a new exorcist for his diocese. The the bishop says, um, We are all humans who carry strengths and weaknesses within us. Anyone facing difficult social, professional, or health situations can seek treatment. There are classic solutions for this. Medical, psychological, psychotherapeutic. Close quote. Uh, The bishop says, Certainly one should not see the devil everywhere, but to refuse even the idea of demonic possession or obsessions amounts to denying... Purely and simply the existence of the devil. Uh, 
with this, the faithful, the diocese of Chur have a good shepherd who explains to them that there's nothing to fear since the enemy of their souls does not exist. It is a triumph of Satan. Something similar has happened here in Phoenix Diocese. I just heard a lecture from, a, it's on video, from our bishop, Bishop Dolan, who says he's going to put a heavy emphasis now on the ministry of health, mental health, psychiatrists, sociologists, and psychiatrists. Uh, to me, it seems like he's taking the same direction. I hope, he, I hope he's not. But Kyle, I know there's been at least three popes, uh, Pope Leo XIII, John Paul II, and Pope Benedict, that have called for every diocese to have an exorcist. What's the problem with a bishop removing the, the ministry of exorcism from a diocese? Well, you bring up a really, really good point. It's multifaceted, so let's pick this thing up uh, and and kind of turn it around and look at it. So the first consideration is this, is de facto, the bishop, as part of his apostolic um, obligation, he is the apostle within a geographical area, and de facto, he is the exorcist in that area, whether he wants to be or does not want to be. Now, short side riff, sidebar, one of the primary abuses of, of authority is to the failure to discharge the office. Mm. And so the failure to discharge it is as egregious as the abuse or overuse of authority. Modernly, we see bishops who are engaging in both spectrums. They abuse their authority by demanding obedience to things which do not require obedience. They are, mis- they are misdirected. They've elevated the corporal works of mercy over the spiritual works of mercy. And then finally, in some areas, they fail to discharge the office. And so this is indicative of the leadership, the higher leadership of the church. It's interesting when you look at someone who um, is the prince of the church, the prince of the church, the prince, the inherited position or the position to which one is appointed is accepted in either one or two ways. And this is like much the way an heir receives inheritance. He receives it knowing that it's through no merit of his own that he is elevated to this and finds himself in this position as pure providence. And so he'll be one of two positions. Uh, One is he'll recognize it's not by merit. It is a sacred trust for those who come after. It is for the future generations. And he will see himself as a steward, a preserver, a conservator, uh, one who defends the faith, defends the castle, defends the kingdom, um, and does everything to build it up. And then there are those who are disposed that they think they are there by merit, and they think they are there with a mandate. And so they are about... Uh, fracturing, selling off, uh, dividing the church, changing that which they've inherited, changing that which they've received in sacred trust, um, forever wanting to put, quote, their mark, their spin on it. And this is a departure from nobility. So when you see a bishop like this who is denying the devil, obliterating the office, um, you're looking at an egocentric and essentially a narcissistic individual who's wanting to put his own, quote, spin on the church and on a particular geographical area. Now, with regard to uh, psychiatry, the scene is 2005. We're in a solemn exorcism case. There is a psychiatrist who is there at the uh, request of a bishop. This bishop did not believe in the devil. He sent this psychiatrist friend of his uh, to observe what goes on in a solemn exorcism. Uh, We are in deep South Texas. The um, energumen is a practice practitioner, a priest. Put that story uh, on hold. Put that story on hold. Teaser for the next segment. People are going to stick around. Kyle's giving us an actual case study. Do not change that dial. We'll be right back.
Wednesday War College. I'm here with Kyle Clement, who's a case facilitator and manager for the DeLorean Fathers. He's the right-hand man of Father Ripperger, literally his right-hand man for all things spiritual warfare. <clears throat> and we're talking about the fact that a Catholic bishop over in Church, Switzerland, is no longer, doesn't believe in the devil, really, is getting rid of the office of exorcism. Kyle is explaining to us about an, a solemn session back in 2005 where the non-believing bishop sent a psychiatrist. And Kyle, if you can pick up that story right from the top, please. Okay, so it's 2005. The scene is deep south Texas. The uh, location is a diocese where um, the bishop was quite skeptical. Um, and this, this did help shift his perspective on, on uh, this whole area. Uh, and he does have two functional exorcists in the diocese as we speak. But um, he was new. Uh, he was very, very skeptical, wasn't taught any of this in seminary. Um, and he had asked a, a psychiatrist friend of his, a confidant in whom he trusted, to attend a solemn session and um, to give him a report. So in this solemn session, the psychiatrist Catholic, um, psychiatrist, close, very close friend of the bishop, um, is attending the session. The Nergaman is a um, ex Santero, uh, which is a Centuria priest, um, synchronistic priest, who was a practitioner, a wizard, a magus, if you will. Hmm. And some things had happened to him, and he had had a, a conversion, uh, and he was seeking to get out of um, his agreement with the particular demon, and he was possessed. So in this particular uh, solemn session, this was the third day of three. First day was pretty slow. Second day, few manifestations, a little bit of shape-shifting, but nothing really definitive. Um, and these sessions are followed by conversations between the priest, very holy man, um, a very simple priest, very holy, and this psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist was giving the modern line that everything can be de determined uh, and explained by either medical or psychological phenomenon, a particular psychosis. Everything is diagnosable uh, at, through modern psychology. And the priest was very, uh, very charitable, listened to him, um, deferred, doesn't agree with him, but just listens and simply gives back the church tradition. A lot of St. Thomas a lot of Thomistic psychology and the understanding of the human person. So on the third day, uh, this particular energumen uh, began to levitate. And so he was about three, three and a half feet off of uh, a table, flat out, and he's levitating. And I can re recall very vividly, the priest is looking under the energumen in the space between the table and the energumen. He's looking at the psychologist, psychiatrist, and he said, uh, doctor, he said, what do you call this particular psychiatric phenomenon? <laughs> wow. There's no answer. Unbelievable. There's simply no answer. Yeah, I uh, hope, hope you reported and, that to the bishop. Well, I, I obviously did. Right. And so it, it leads to, a, and then providentially, these cases always end up this way. There's a deeper conversion. And so the psychologist attended for, um, insisted on attending, and then he takes up uh, doing fast and fasting and penance, 
for the energumen, and he's present at his ultimate liberation about six months later. Um, and so that psychiatrist had a deep and profound conversion um, experience. And then the bishop also, as a result of, of this report, then the bishop began to do uh, adoration and prayers for the energumen by name. Uh, so these are these are real game changers. These are moments of conversion. And so what you look for is you look for this bishop um, and you look for this bishop, this new bishop in Phoenix. You, you look for these guys. They will be brought to a moment where they can either yield to the truth or they can become obstinate. And so this is the path of conversion. And so you pray. Thank you. Thanks be to God for these ongoing moments. The bishop in Phoenix has his own backstory, just a tre- tremendous amount of suffering, a tremendous amount of dysfunction. Um, you pray for him that, that this moment that he realized through these things, that this is not the answer to turn to God, to turn to Christ and to embrace the nobility of his office as prince of this church as a sacred trust, not as a way to re, uh, reconfigure the church in his own image or in his own, uh, on his, in his own desire. The errors of the clergy will become more and more egregious, just like the errors of society are becoming more and more egregious and more apparent. Um, we, we touched on child sacrifice. We touched on this as becoming a political issue. I think we need to speak truth. Just speak truth every chance you get. Told the truth. Understand that in the coming chastisement, this is a time for conversion. The demon militates to absurdity. He militates to a point where anyone can see this and say, that's simply not right. Um, we've even had prelates, prelates in California, a very popular prelate, say that, you know, hell is a concept. It's not a place. This is against doctrine and dogma. And it doesn't matter if that mouth is under a miter or on top of a blue collar. It's either speaking truth or it's speaking falsehood. And we have to call it out. We as Catholic men are the last bastion of calling out truth and bad actors and saying what you're saying is inconsistent with tradition. What you're saying is inconsistent with our faith. What you're saying is inconsistent with Jesus Christ. By the same token, we have to recognize truth no matter what mouth it appears in. Amen. Kyle, let's uh, let's go on to pay. thanks. <clears throat> thanks a lot for that. Was a a, a full orb response, a full throated response to the question of the article <clears throat> uh, that seems to be plaguing a lot of the successors of the apostles around the world these days. <clears throat> on page forty one, <clears throat> on the book Deliverance Prayers for the Lady, there is a prayer. It's called Breaking the Spirit of Death. <clears throat> Before you get into the prayer, I just want to ask you. <clears throat> several people have asked me about the uh, Deliverance Prayers for the Lady book. And essentially, just from <clears throat> reading it several times, obviously, listening to you, having a, conver- a relationship with you, and talking with you about this, and picking your brain, I've come to see that the prayer book is, by and large, written for men. Not exclusively for men. I mean, it could be written... Women, in the proper authority sense, could pray it. But I can see that most of the prayers here are patriarchal, as I've been talking to you from one week to another. <clears throat> and a lot of the emails that I get are women, kind of alpha women that have had a conversion. Their husbands are ha- haven't had that metanoia. They haven't had that uh, you know compunction. They haven't had that uh, interior conversion to Christ. <clears throat> and so they want to use the book kind of as a way to uh, become the patriarch of the house or become the spiritual leader of the house. And that's where they've got it all wrong. That's where they've got it all twisted. And so, uh, first of all, is that is that a correct assessment that I've just made that 
this prayer book is supposed to be used primarily by men, primarily. That is true. Um, it, it is primarily, they are written from a patriarchal standpoint because it's spiritual warfare, it's spiritual combat. Um, it, it's Women are not made for combat. They're not made for confrontation. They're not made for protection. Men are made for this. It's not that women aren't made for something else. They absolutely are. This idea of equality diminishes both men and women. We have very unique roles, and we need to um, embrace those roles as part of the obligation of vocation. However, you bring up a very, very important point that often the woman is the point of conversion. She is uh, often the more spiritually sensitive. So again, authority and merit have nothing to do with each other. The authority structure is the authority structure. Um, In the garden, the authority structure is the authority structure. Um, Eve and Adam have a certain relationship, and when that when she supplants his authority, um, when she elevates herself above him in that chain of authority, then she becomes vulnerable, and she she uh, listens to the serpent who is giving actual thought a word to her thought. That let's go back just a second to these prayers. The the woman is the instrument of conversion. The man is the instrument of confrontation, of protection, of, um, of attacking those things that are militating against conversion. And I think that these women need to realize, um, women by and large need to realize that if you're married in the church, this is a font of grace. This is a conduit of grace. Don't pray for behavior, pray for conversion. You're married to a good man who does bad things. You're not married to a bad man who does good things. See him as a good man who does bad things. And then you see yourself as a good woman who does bad things. This is our understanding of sin, is that we're trying to be good. We're we're striving for the good. We're striving for virtue. We're striving to eliminate vicious behavior. And the second phase of conversion is vicious behavior or sin begins to hurt us. It begins, we, we have this realization of shame. But the man is not going to follow by what you say. He's going to follow by what you do. If you are obedient, if you are docile, if you're constantly supporting him and asking his permission, if you're constantly putting him in a position of leadership and giving him a chance and giving him the opportunity uh, to assume the leadership, He's going to make mistakes. God can perfect our imperfect actions. What he can't do is supply action where there is none. And so women reading, I'm not telling them not to read this book. Read this book. But your primary prayer is, Lord, let him see himself as you see him. And let me see him as you see him, which is head of house, which is my spouse, which is my spiritual leader. Kyle, uh, that's... requires three exclamation points that that really sums up uh, the practical way of how to use this book of course women can pray it for uh, their children obviously they have authority or spirit that are living under them <clears throat> and women can also pray certain prayers in there we'll be getting to them uh, for the conversion of their husband that God will give them the grace of conversion but if you can just uh, <clears throat> begin at least elucidating spirit breaking the spirit of death when is that? Is that a imprecatory, deprecatory? Is it patriarchal? And when and how should people use it? So let's talk about it. The, the base theology, just a minute. It is. Uh, it is 
imprecatory because it's a it's an I. There's some I language in it, but there is a preamble, and so there's an adjuring preamble, and then there is an I bind. But this preamble and the spirit breaking the spirit of death. Let's see where this is in theology, and let's go to the Decalogue because we do well always and everywhere to say, okay, how and where in the cosmos is this operative? So the spirit of death is going to be talked about specifically in the fifth commandment. Let's look at the Decalogue in its structure. The first three commandments tell us how to relate to God. And if you are discharging the first commandment completely, totally, and perfectly, there's no need for the other nine. I am the Lord your God, there will, you will have no other gods before me. And so, first three commandments, how we deal with God the Father, how we relate to Him about the Sabbath, about who He is. And so those three, then there's the bridge commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. This understanding that God chose our father and our mother, our identity is directly related where we were born, who we were born to, what ethnicity, what culture, what time, all of gender, all of these things were decided directly by God. Kyle, hold that thought, my friend. Hold that thought. We're going to a hard break. Kyle Clement, Jess Romero talking about uh, deliverance prayers for the lady. Stick around. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. And we're talking about <clears throat> the prayer on page 41, Breaking the Spirit of Death. Kyle, you just said that that this prayer, uh, the spirit of death, it basically alludes to the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. You also said it's an imprecatory prayer, and it's uh, it's this, it's this it's no, and, and the commandment before that, the fourth commandment, is the bridge commandment. That's where you left off. Can you pick it up from there? Yes, Jesse, it's the bridge commandment, because now we're moving from uh, prescriptive behavior. All of that is prescriptive behavior, one through four. Honor thy father and thy mother. The Lord is thy God. Um, honor the Sabbath. These are prescriptions, prescriptive behavior. Do these things. Then the fifth is the start of the prohibitive behavior. And so you look at prohibitive behavior, and it has, uh, with prohibitive behavior, is the understanding that now we move into, quote, sin, that which damages relationship. So the first four commandments, if you adhere to them, they build relationship with the Trinity, and then the fifth through the tenth destroy relationship with the Trinity. And the five through ten, these are uh, commandments that have to do with charity, meaning the desire for salvation, the desire for union, the desire for our fellow man, because these are the commandments of how we deal with our fellow men, um, starting first with thou shalt not kill. Now, under, we need to understand that this is a, is a very important commandment and concept because God is the author of life. Satan is the author of death. And when you see that, it's very clear that you are either for life or you are for death. There is not, uh, there's no, quote, choice there, as far as some ambiguous way. Uh, it's either life, you're going to choose either for life or for death. And 
this is why Joshua says, as for me and my house, I will, we will serve the Lord. We will live. Um, and so this is the, the, this is life and the desire for life. So the spirit of death is an, an immediate psychological compatibility. If we wish the death or the failure to procreate, if we want to thwart the author of life in any way, this is including especially contraception, um, abortion, um, anything that, in, that it interferes with a generative principle, IUDs, um, any type of uh, vasectomy, anything that interferes bodily mutilation or anything that interferes with procreative principle, then we are in violation of the fifth commandment and we are in psychological compatibility with the demon. Now, this is interesting, this prayer, because it's going to have a thrice repetition and you're going to think, okay, now why is that ritualistic element there? The reason why is the demon is going to seize on every act that thwarts procreation and promotes death, he's going to seize on it as a malefice. What is a malefice? A malefice is an action which affirms your um, militation against God's procreative purpose. And because it's a malefice, it is ritualistic. It has a ritualistic element. The demon's going to claim that you are giving glory to him when you do these things. Very simply, when you use a condom, when you withdraw, when you spill the seed, when you fail to, when you con uh purposely contracept, when you misuse natural family planning, when you abort, when you do these things and you militate against this, you are in psychological compatibility with a demon, and the target is God the Father, the author of life, the author of procreation. This is why this is such a powerful prayer, and it's one that needs to be prayed by women over themselves, men over themselves, anytime there's a temptation to thwart the procreative process, anytime there's a temptation to, by vengeance, smear someone's reputation, engage in slander, calumny, uh, whatever it may be, to militate against the dignity of the human person. You need to seize this little wiggler by the throat because this one's going to become a very, very serious problem in your life, and you need to respond to it in a formal way. That's why there's the imprecatory prayer. So it's a very broad salutation. Any spirits of death or anything connected with death, death meaning untimely end of life or the interruption or the thwarting of the beginning of life, that is death. So this prayer should be prayed by the man over himself and the woman over herself. So it's a personal, and it's a personal prayer, an imprecatory prayer, uh, that can be paid, prayed by the matriarch or the or the patriarch over themselves. That is absolutely right. And and look at this language. Where is the demon sent? I send you directly and immediately to the immaculate heart of Mary whose feast we celebrate tomorrow, whose solemnity we celebrate tomorrow. But the Immaculate Heart of Mary is that which is absolutely open to the author of life, absolutely open to God without question, without reservation. Do with me what you, what you will. So you take this hardened heart, you take this reserved heart, you, you take this psychological compatibility that says only on my terms, and you send it directly to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, who is absolutely and always open and available to our Lord. Carl, you know what I've noticed about you know reading this book over and over since you've given it to me months ago, 
is I've noticed this is like a personal retreat for individuals. I mean, because, again, you're praying for your holiness, your sanctification. Uh, instead of, I think a lot of people want this magic pill where give me a book so that I can fix everybody else's problems. No, this book is a book to fix your problems. And I mean, your problems uh, are, are lack of holiness or lack of sanctity. Uh, it, it's, it to me reminds me like the imitation of Christ, th- that book, which is kind of a, it's, it's a retreat, a personal retreat. This book is, is, is a prayer book. Uh, for 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 one's interior life, instead of well, I want to fix my brother-in-law, I want to fix a neighbor across the street. No, fix yourself, right? You're precisely right, and I think you bring up a great point. One of those is that if you're praying deliverance prayers to affect a change in behavior, you, you're you're chasing a horse. He's already out. He's already gone. He's out of the out of the corral. Um, if you're praying to change behavior, you, you need to pray um, to change disposition, to, to open them, that they open themselves to God's holy will, that they see themselves as God sees them. And, and in our own selves, um, we're praying these prayers to affect an interior change, not an exterior response. This is one of the great fallacies of exorcism is people call manifestations bad behavior, and they think that if you pray exorcism, then a person's behavior uh, will change. Not necessarily so. Not necessarily so. You have to address the psychological compatibility with the demon. Um, that's at the heart of all of these things. That's at the heart of all conversion is we have to get rid of what is not consistent with God's holy will. If you look at the Pieta, the Pieta, the, the sculpture by Michelangelo, essentially what he does is he removes out of, he th- takes a great huge piece of rock, a piece of marble, and he removes everything that is not the Pieta. And you can only work on this rock a little at a time because repeated blows set up a resonance in the rock that it could destroy it. So if you keep nagging, if you keep pounding, you can destroy and so it's a little at a time. It's the drip, drip, drip of, of blessing uh, rather than the flood, uh, the torrent that changes. It is that constancy. It is who you are constantly. It is docility, constancy, the desire for salvation. This is what liberates. This is what changes souls. That makes sense, Kyle. I mean, you've said that many times, <clears throat> but uh, that just jumped out at me, the fact that uh, you just said, that we don't, we're not praying. If people are praying deliverance prayers for somebody else, uh, and you're and you're praying for them to change their behavior, it's it's kind of a waste of time. We've got to pray for them to receive that prick of conscience. In other words, like you said, the, the, to change their disposition by that prick of conscience, and to make them realize, as the Catechism says, the horror of their sin, uh, so they can return back to God and the Father, like the prodigal son, right? That's precisely right, Jesse. Well said is, is you're wanting to bring that prick of conscience, the virtue of shame, which St. Thomas defines as the physical distress caused by the, a wrongdoing or an evil a disorder. Um, you, you want to calibrate that instrument so that the man uh, who's seeking to stop cursing, it begins to cause him physical pain. It beca- it, he begins to realize that the tangible uttering of the curse uh, the curse word or, or God's name in vain, it has a cosmic effect, and, and it needs to be viewed in light of that. Um, that's that awareness that, that will affect change. Good stuff. <clears throat> Wednesday, War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. Kyle, the next prayer is called Prayer to Reverse Decisions. It says to be said by the person. It's a pretty long prayer. Uh, 
when would somebody pray that prayer in what situation that they've gotten themselves into? Uh, when would they pray that over themselves? So you see that this prayer, it's imprecatory, but it is limited to prayer for oneself. Um, it is absolutely limited to the to uh, prayer for oneself. We cannot reverse the decisions for another. We cannot have compunction for another any more than we can baptize the dead, any more than we can impose our free will upon the free will of another creature. Uh, St. Thomas, very simply, you cannot will the action of another. So this is a personal prayer, and it follows this, the previous prayer, on, for a reason. We all make decisions. The, this prayer really is summed up with regard to the Decalogue in a first commandment violation. We have, there's an, we've committed an infidelity to God because we've made a decision to place ourselves, some created thing, some other creature. We've placed them ahead of God. We've placed them ahead of our relationship with God. And so if you, if you read the prayer, let's go into it. Lord Jesus Christ, this is subjecting yourself to governance in thy name and by the power of thy precious blood. Again, the sacrificial theology. I'm, I am a, uh, conforming myself to sacrificial theology. I'm wanting to be under your governance. And by the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and by the intercession of St. Michael the Archangel, these you're calling witnesses you're calling the blessed mother who lived this perfectly and then you're calling saint michael first exorcist so uh, saint michael whenever we see him and we see this image of him with the sword on the tongue of the demon the tongue of the dragon we need to realize that saint michael is the first exorcist uh, Kyle, he hold that is, thought, my friend. Hold that thought. Hard break. Last segment. Just remember, Kyle Clement talking all these spiritual warfare. Stick around. Good stuff. Wednesday War College, Jesuit Mary Kyle Clement, all things spiritual warfare. Kyle, on page 41, you're talking about the prayer, prayer to reverse decisions. Amongst the Hispanic community, I can tell you that what's very common is for Hispanics that fall into the occult to give themselves to Santa Muerte, who we reject, rebuke, and renounce in Jesus' name. Or other people, uh, Hispanics also give them, in, in, uh, the Cubans, excuse me, in Cuban, they give themselves more to what's called Santeria, uh, and so there are different, by the way, that we reject, rebuke, and renounce in Jesus' name. So in this instances, they would use this prayer to reverse decisions because, again, they've put themselves under a false governance to a false god, correct? That's precisely right. Um, and these are the things that you, you bring up a really, really good point. Vicious behavior cannot be excused by culture. It's either vicious or it's virtuous. It cannot be excused by culture. It can't be excused by uh, societal norms. It can't be excused by legislation. It is either clean or unclean. It's either virtuous or vicious. And so as we mature spiritually, we look back on certain choices we've made, and we realize these choices were against uh, God. They're against the first commandment. And so where it says, I retake the authority which was given to me by thee and giving me free will. 
So this prayer is about cleansing the free will. It's about taking away the fetters or ligatures of the free will and basically eliminating in any way the demon can be present to us through past sin, through past conspiracy, etc. I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend this prayer as part of marriage prep. Um, the, the woman over herself, the man over himself, because this brings a truly free and cleansed free will to the union. Um, this eliminates all the ligatures or attachments um, to previous sins and previous bad choices which were made. We've all made these bad choices, and this is a difference in confessing sin. Now, once we confess the sin and we're absolved of the sin— um, there are still the temporal consequences due to sin. There's still the weakness of the will caused uh, by sin, especially habitual mortal sin. So if you truly want to be rid of it then and its effect on you and to regain some degree of purity in a certain area, this is the prayer to do that. This is the prayer to uh, periodically go back and pray uh, because all of us make bad decisions and we make decisions that open us to uh, influences of people, spirits, things to which we really do not want to be attached. Uh, we, we don't want to be fettered. We don't want to have this ligature. Or what you say, what you call cycle, these sins that people open themselves up to through the spirit of death open themselves up to psychological compatibility with a demon, correct? That's precisely right. And again, you get the, thri the thrice language. Anytime you're going to see in these prayers the thrice language, you've got to realize that this is something that the demon will see as a malefice or an offering to evil. It's, it goes beyond simple sin. It's a sin that the demon really wants to be participatory in. He really wants you and encourages you uh, to engage in this habitually, uh, to numb your conscience, to take you away from right relationship with God. And so this is addressing retained sin or often self-justified uh, omittance of sin. Um, for instance, I can forgive everyone except uh, Uncle Bob or Aunt Marge for, for what she did. Well, if you do that, <clears throat> then you're thwarting the effectiveness of the sacrament of penance. Sacrament, sacramental Mass, if you go into the sacrament of penance with four mortal sins and you confess three, you come out with how many? Five. Five. Oh, that's right. Five. Because, yeah. Yeah, because you're adding to the load. Uh, we don't understand that. Modernly and especially modern psychology encourages us to vent, uh, to deal with these things that, that we don't have to forgive. Um, no, our Lord tells us very quickly, you, you must forgive and you must forgive quickly and you must forgive 70 times seven. Um, you must do these things. Um, and it, it's not an elective thing. This is something that you have to do. And again, it's in the will. Forgiveness is a movement in the will. It's a, it's a cognitive choice made against often emotional feeling, uh, lower faculty input, and you have to make that decision. That is a, it's a very, very important thing because if not, then you're tied to that bad decision. You're tied to the consequences of that bad decision, and the demon is going to be able to be present to you, uh, almost like with having a pass key. Uh, he can get inside your wire immediately because of these bad decisions. That's an important point, that, that, that our will 
actually has to fight against our emotion because people don't want to forgive emotionally. But again, uh, like you said, forgiveness is an act of the will, and that has to that has to override your emotions. Kyle, you also mentioned something else, and I just got a text. Somebody would like a clarification as to why the occult uses the, uses the thrice language. Once again, you said what? So the thrice language is a couple of things. Primary, and I may have omitted it, is all occult mil- militates against the integrity and unity of the Trinity. It uh-huh. seeks to fracture the Trinity. It seeks to militate against the unity of the Trinity. And so everything is done in threes in mockery of the Trinity. Um, and the other reason being it for the thrice is that um, the demon attaches a ritualistic element or meaning to uh, malefice, meaning something which is done which has a ritualistic um, uh, significance. <clears throat> Ritualism and ritual is one of the components of ritual is repetition, but the primary component of ritual is office by our office. So when a father engages in anything against the procreative act, he as a father is charged with and obliged to be the steward of the seed, the steward of the conjugal act, its purity, its frequency, its fruitfulness. That's his obligation. So when he militates against that obligation, immediately it's elevated to uh, malefice or something that it has a formal connotation because it militates against the integrity of his office. Women, same, you, you can look at what is the integrity of our office. Priesthood, what is the integrity of his office is to preserve the deposit of the face, to administer the sacraments, etc., etc. So anything he does, and especially anything that he does with his hands that is inconsistent with priesthood is immediately seen as ritualistic, as malefice. So when a priest puts his hands on a person, um, in any fashion other than priesthood. This is why pedophilia, homosexuality, self-harm, any of these things done by a priest immediately is elevated to a ritualistic level and opens him up to um, possession at, uh, immediately because he's engaging in a malefice that is directly against the integrity of his office. So d- d- malefice, the, the definition of malefice is the integrity against the election of his office that's one of the that's one of the that's the primary aspect of defining it to define malefice it is opposite blessing it is a curse it is a movement an action a word which ushers in evil blessing a benediction is a movement an action a word which ushers in grace or good and a malefice is exactly opposite that that ushers in a curse correct right Correct, because yeah. it is acting outside his office. It's a misuse of, of authority. It's a misuse of power. And so as such, he again, he either is a conduit for good or a conduit for evil. Good stuff. You're listening to uh, Wednesday War College. Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. <clears throat> Kyle, so uh, this prayer is done but the thrice if necessary three times, and that's to offset, offset the ritualistic aspects uh, of a curse, correct? That is correct. Now, the second part of that prayer, if a priest is present, then he says, so often this is done in confession. Uh, this, is a, this is a prayer which can be used in the sacrament. And then the priest, if there's a, any kind of formality um, needed, uh, a formal response by the priest, this prayer is prayed by a general practitioner priest, a, con- a confessor, but listen to the language. This is the priest speaking. All you spirits 
which have sought to gain influence by presenting false choices to in and all your companion spirits in the name of Jesus Christ and by his precious blood and the authority of my priesthood. With the authority granted to me by Jesus Christ and his church, I exercise you and bind you separately and individually and break all of the seals and power gained by you through these choices. I break all the influences you have over these people and things as a result of N's choices. I bind you from ever seeking to gain power or influence over N or anyone, uh, anything associated with him. You are bound and the seals are broken in the name of the Father and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. Again, the invocation of the Trinity and then three times. But you see here this understanding. This, we go deep into the theology where the priest is actually formally breaking these things, because all office is a function of vocation. It is a function of sacrament. It joins us, to, it conforms us to God the Father through us, either matrimony or holy orders. This is, there's so much theology in these prayers that we have lost that we don't really understand. Um, and so what the demon seeks to do is fracture that late relationship through vocation, by elevating something else above God, maybe even ourselves. Uh, the language is subtle. The language sounds like there is no devil. This is all medical. There will be no exorcist. Uh, the language, which is what this program started out with, uh, to the priest, very subtly, you should dress in, in civilian clothes. You're not always a priest. Uh, you should have a day off. You don't have to celebrate Mass every day. This is that seductive voice that if, the, if we give in to. Um, Fathers, uh, husbands, you deserve some me time, some bar time with you and your friends. You don't have to be uh, on point, the husband all the time. You don't have to be the father. All Listen to that seductive voice. Hmm. These are the choices made in the free will that compromise our vocation. These are the choices that are made in the free will that are addressed in this prayer. Hey, Kyle, uh, how can people get a hold of you? you got about one minute. Thank and you what so you much, to? Jesse. Yeah. You, you, you find us at www.libercristo.org or www.montecristo.net. There are recordings there. There's links to YouTube channels. Please exhaust those resources. Send us emails. Inquire about the retreats. Father Ripperger has many offerings coming up. And most of all, I want to take this opportunity to plug, plug, plug. Order your seats. Order your tickets now for the Virgin Most Powerful Spiritual Warfare Conference on the Feast of the Annunciation in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Jesse's going to be there. Uh, Father Ripperger's going to be there. Dan Snyder's going to be there. And I'll be there. And so we would love to see you there. Put that on your calendar. Come see us. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, uh, Kyle. We'll see you next time, my friend. God bless you. Keep the faith. And uh, just reminding all of you, uh, live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Stay close to our Lord. Stay close to our Lady. You've been listening to Wednesday War College. All things spiritual warfare. See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. And up next, Gary Machuda hands on apologetics. Remember, <clears throat> tomorrow is the uh, feast day of the Immaculate Conception. It's uh, Holy Day of Obligation. See you at Holy Mass. God bless you. Keep the faith. <laughs>